Immersive Audio Podcast. In conversation with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business, to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, brought to you by 1618 Digital. Today, Oliver is joined by Dr. Alex Southern, a principal consultant and neuralization lead for the international engineering company, ACOM. Alex is also a former Royal Society Industry Fellow and the most recent winner of the Institute of Acoustics Young Person Innovation Award, as well as recently winning an award for his work on the A303 Stonehenge project. Oliver and Alex cover the topics of the role of audio in architecture and engineering, oralization for civil engineering projects, how academia and research drives the future of audio and engineering, along with its own challenges within the acoustics industry. Good morning, Alex, and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast. How are you today? Uh, Very good. Thank you very much, Oliver. Um, Looking forward to having a discussion with you this morning. It's quite early in the morning at the moment. Uh, thank you for stopping by. Uh, we both got flights to catch in a few hours, but we absolutely determined to get this one in the bag. So We're under pressure to uh, make this work. <laughs> Let's get cracking. So I understand you're on a business trip for a couple of days in London? That's right, yeah. Um, it's quite common for me to... So I'm, I'm actually based in, the, in our ACOM's Glasgow office um, on, on Bothwell Street. Um, but it's quite common for me to um, come down every three or four weeks um, for various meetings and client meetings and um, and things like that. Uh, so so yeah, yeah, it's just a it's just a kind of a regular trip, really. Nothing not particularly special happening. Mm-hmm. And are you predominantly based across two branches, Glasgow and London, or you tend to go around all sorts of places? Um, yeah, those yeah, those are the perhaps two places I visit visit most, but we, we have offices in um, and, and acousticians specifically spread across the whole of the country. Uh, yeah, as I say, in Glasgow, Edinburgh, uh, Manchester, Nottingham, Leeds, um, and then St Albans, Wimbledon, Basingstoke. Um, so we've got there's about 50 acousticians, just over 50 acousticians across the whole of the UK. So I get to go to most of the offices uh, every now and again, but but generally I, I travel between um, the London offices and uh, and Glasgow most, yeah. Does your work tend to stretch across many countries internationally or are you predominantly based within the UK? Yeah, we have, we have um, I think, I believe it's just over about 200 acousticians globally. Um, and... Um, that's out of uh, that's out of about a hundred. I think probably about ninety, hundred to hundred thousand employees globally. So there's not actually that many acousticians in the company um, as as a as a percentage. But um, and the majority of those I think are actually based in the UK with with fifty. I think that's one of the highest concentrations. But um, our work does we do we do do work um, in in other countries and support other other regions. Um, so we've been involved in projects in in Singapore, um, and uh, across in the Netherlands uh, quite recently. So um, so yeah, we we do, but it's it's perhaps not it's perhaps not that that common. Um, uh, and out in the Middle East as well, yeah. Uh, but it's th- these things come up. But but I'd say that, yeah, we we generally focus on um, the UK team focuses on on the UK region in terms of workload. 
You have a very unusual and important job, I would say, and we definitely would like to talk about it in more detail. But before that, as always, I would love to hear your story. What got you interested in audio and how did you get into it? That's a, that's a good one. Uh, I guess uh, what got me interested was um, I was handed a guitar as a as a teenager and um, and just basically started started learning guitar at school, uh, in secondary school. Um, and it, that's definitely where it started. Uh, just an interest in in sound and, and in music, um, and then as I I was one of, I think I was one of the first to do the A level in music technology um, at college, and then uh, and then that just kind of naturally progressed into a, into a um, an undergraduate degree at, at the University of Derby, um, in, also in music technology. Um, and then kind of from there, I I was I kind of realised I was interested in music production and, and live sound and uh, and enjoyed being involved with, with productions, but I probably wasn't the strongest at live uh, kind of, of mixing. I wasn't, I wasn't, while, you know, while I could play the guitar, I wasn't an accomplished musician by any stretch of imagination. And I felt that probably to, to get... Um, to kind of get the best out of my career, I, I should probably focus on the science side of things. So my masters then went into into room acoustics, um, and then that's where where my PhD went went into is is room acoustic modelling, and synthes and synthesising um, room acoustic um, room acoustics of buildings that um, once once existed or exist. Um, you know, will exist in the future, um, so that we can uh, ultimately inf inform the design process of these spaces. Uh, and then, and then, I guess a real specialism within that was then that came out th through my through my PhD was this idea of being able to listen to these spaces bef before you actually uh, build them. So the the kind of the process of oralization or oralizing spaces um, is and that's that's ultimately where it, where it came from through this academic academic path but all started with the guitar I guess I guess it's a quite a classic yeah. scenario starting in the creative industry trying to pursue a career of rock star and then yeah, yeah. end up working in the engineering and science interesting how those two worlds sort of sit on the next to each other and you just never know where you're going to end up sometimes yeah. I totally agree. It is. It is a. It is quite a common thing, and I know there are plenty of uh, people within within uh, Acom Acoustics that that have a have a similar background um, coming from a music technology role, um, and and then up where others perhaps have a have more physics background, physics degrees, um, and then others have, have perhaps gone straight straight through an, an acoustics degree directly. So uh, uh, yeah, quite quite wide and varied, really. Um, where people come to from to get actually get into acoustic consultancy. Do you still pick up the guitar? <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah. But to be fair, pro probably more to uh, to clean it than than to play it. Unfortunately, I, I, yeah, I don't get I don't get as much time. I, I think I think actually I fell out with it a little after after college, just because the I, I made the mistake of of taking exams in the guitar at A level during my music technology A level, and. Um, and just the kind of the practice that was required was kind of two or three hours a day, and when when the exam was finished, it, it kind of it kind of was it was nice to have a break from it, and and never really never really picked it up again, unfortunately. But you know, there's still plenty of time. I you know, there's no reason why. I just have to make time for it, I guess. I'm curious whether or not you started being involved with the acoustics industry 
early and uh, picking up gigs um, during your academic years? Or did you start working in industry straight after the PhD? And what, was there anything else in between um, academia and uh, your role at ACOM? Or you went straight there and you, you've been there since? No, actually, I, um, as I finished my PhD at York, uh, I, I took up a, a postdoc position at Alto University uh, in Helsinki, Finland, and uh, and I was there for three years. Um, and that was uh, that group had a focus on um, on concert hall design and all the all elements of concert hall design from psychoacoustics through through the um um the modeling and the sound propagation of of of, of the design and also in and also part of the um sound recording of uh, how to set, you know how to uh, record the sound of the orchestra and things like that um so yeah uh, that was uh, you know that was that was probably I went there first and focused fo- focused specifically on on in that area first and then when I returned to the UK uh, this position in, in the Glasgow office at Acom um, was available so it seemed like a like a good time um, to, to kind of take that up really and to try to transfer what I'd learned in academia um, and in in this research environment um, and try to cross that over into into an into a commercial. Um, environment. Correct me if I'm wrong, one of our previous guests, Professor Damien Murphy, was your PhD supervisor. That's right, yeah. yeah. Are you still in touch? Every week. week. (laughs) Probably pretty much every week, yeah, at the moment, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we we still try to work together as much as we can, yeah. Alex, can you tell us a few words about your specific role within the company? What are your everyday responsibilities? So, my everyday responsibilities are really to lead the the oralization capability uh, within within the company um, and to promote to promote its use within the company and um, so that is not just promoting within the my own acoustics um, with my own acoustics colleagues um, but also um, with the up with the other environmental disciplines and and beyond that so for example um, that could be um, with stakeholder engagement people so um so the stakeholder engagement people are responsible for uh, managing um the kind of um i guess i guess uh, the <laughs> engagement with the stakeholders um so so that could be the stakeholder might be the client who's who's um building the um the the venture so this it might be a new railway for example or a new road scheme um and um there's obviously a relationship to be managed between between the developer and and the, the public and the existing residents. So so uh, they will they will they will manage that. And uh, it's important that that for me um, with oralization that they have a, a good understanding of what we can do in terms of oralizing um, a proposed development, um, so that it can ultimately be used to communicate that development with with the various stakeholders. We also have architects within the company. Um, and uh, again, it's it, it's um, a constant mission to, to try to, um, to, to have the architects understand more about um, acoustics and try to get 
acoustic consultants involved in the design process as early as possible um, because it's okay having, you know, it's okay, it's great if someone designs a really lovely looking and you know inspiring space, but if it's absolutely awful place to to be in and to and to and to use because because the acoustics haven't been the acoustics haven't been thought about properly, um, then it can be uh, quite embarrassing and, and very expensive to fix. So um, again, these 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 things and being able to listen to those spaces before they're built, whether that is a it could be an airport, it could be a train station, it could be a performance space or a lecture theatre or a studio like this one. Um, so all of these things um, uh, come into come into play, I guess. So it, so it, as I say, it's it's quite broad as well because because we we do not just building inside buildings we also we can also design acoustics and manage noise from um, in in an environmental context um, so that could as i say that could be um, uh, railways aircraft airports road traffic um, all these these kinds of things and what are the key considerations of your uh, line of work would that be sound insulation from internal and external perspectives, um, or speech intelligibility. Um, am I missing something else? No. Yes. So yeah, in terms of uh, in internal um, spaces, then yeah, speech intelligibility might be something you you want to consider. Uh, as I said, for for um, if, if you if we're involved with the design of a of a public address or a voice alarm system. Um, for in a in a train station or an airport or some kind of shopping center maybe um then then yeah you, you may want to design design um those spaces so that system uh, meets a specific um speech intelligibility criteria um and from my perspective i'm i'm interested in in being able to show the client or other stakeholders um actually and actually let them listen to what that level of what that speech intelligibility actually sounds like um, because it, speech intelligibility, if you're not familiar, is um, on an index, uh, described on an index between zero and one, um, where 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 you you might say that um, we want to achieve 0.6 in this uh, in this particular space, and 0.6 as a as a number doesn't really mean anything to most people. 0.66 speech intelligibility. Well, what's that? So the idea is is that we can you can you can oralize what that sounds like and 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 allow people to make a comparison as to what that sounds like when when we change from from 0.6 to 0.7 to 0.8, for example. How of a regular occurrence is the situation where you run a simulation of a say civil engineering project, say like a highway bridge, and you establish that the environmental noise pollution will be above the recommended standard and then you proceed with adjustments as far as the project planning concerned is is, is that a quite common thing to happen yeah yeah i think it i think it is perhaps not exactly as you describe it but um but yeah the the general idea is is that um there'll be a proposed design a, a layout um whether that is a for a, a building or whether it, as you as you pointed to like a, a road bridge maybe um and what typically happens is is we get for example in the example of um for the example of, of a road scheme um we'll typically receive um the planned layout of that of that new road and then uh, we will gather traffic information um for the for the 
that represents kind of an existing scenario. Um, and then we also will then liaise with our with our traffic modeling team within the company, who will then predict what the what the new flows of the traffic will be based on the new road layout and the new planned um if it's like a plan roundabouts and um, traffic lights, all that is taken into account and modelled how that's going to affect um, the flow, the flow of the traffic, and then we we can put that information into our acoustic models and then use that information to predict um, what the what the new um, sound pressure levels will be across across a, a site, um, and those that's typically done over over. Um, over an 18-hour day as well, so it's, it's an average. It's, it's usually an, an average of over a day rather than a like a specific hour. I would love to dive in a little bit deeper into this aspect. How do you go about creating a realistic simulation of an environment, and how does the immersive audio involved in this process? The end goal is usually to make um, an immersive experience of your planned development. Um, and provide the listener with a reference existing an existing situation as well so they can make this um so they get this direct kind of understanding of what of what the change will be so that's so that's kind of where we're trying to trying to get to um but we need to get there in such a way that we that we are confident that we've predicted um the correct level change so so that's why we we have to kind of Back up what we do with with models um, in terms of in terms of um, planet um, predicting something in the future, um, and in terms of the existing scenario, we'll go out and actually measure um, with sound level meters um, the 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 levels at you know at our locations of interest, um, and also um, for the oralization, we'll take. Um, 3D sound recordings or spatial sound recordings um, at those locations as well, uh, and then it really is a case of um, recording the um, getting source recordings of the of the source that is going to change. Um, so I'm thinking now really in terms of things like um, um, road traffic and rail and and aircraft um, and, and or industrial sources, for example, um, and taking those recordings and then and then effectively. Um, Adjusting those um, in order to in order to meet what what we what we predict they will sound like in the future, um, based on the information from our from our noise noise model calculations. I hope it's not an industrial secret. I would love to hear more about the sort of step by step process. Is it more of a metaphysical analysis where you capture something of a similar nature and then you put it through the simulation engine, which essentially spits out the numbers that you go by or you kind of go in the creative route and and try to recreate that environment uh, sonically so it can be played back um, say binaurally or non-binaurally and actually as well as the numbers and data you also get the kind of the human perception of it yeah in an ideal world it would we would it would always be binaural um, there's some slight issues there in terms of um, not everyone's got the same the same head, the same ears. Um, so if we're going to do a binaural rendering, we have an issue where the head-related transfer functions that describe that person's head are not going to be the same. So so we, we, we can pick a set and render it through a set of, of these of these filters. Um, but then it's only really good in theory for that for that one person and it's it's always going to be wrong for every everyone else so uh so there's there's kind of an issue there really with with um with 
with the end product and basically how everyone's going to be hearing things wrong. You know that already from, from uh, you know, just from um, the the theory. Um, but the question is, is, is how wrong and is it is that acceptable? Basically, when we're when when we're effectively using this technology to allow people to make decisions about about uh, a process that are obviously uh, can obviously have a big impact, particularly if it's if it's an environmentally environmental noise related project so so um yeah those those need to be that those things are taken into consideration so i'd say it's not necessarily essential for it to be to be binaurally rendered uh, it could just be rendered in uh, mono or even stereo uh, the, the the point is is that you is that you're conveying this this rel- this relative change um but but in an ideal world yeah i i would i would aim for um, binaural if we're using headphones or or maybe um if we're using ambisonics and a loudspeaker array then then obviously that that alleviates some some of those issues but then you have the 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 additional issue then of uh, then that you need to get people into one of these spaces with with the right you know with the right equipment um so yeah and there's you know there's the, certainly in the academic um, community, there's there's a lot of information there between the pros and cons of binaural versus versus like speaker based rendering. Would you say that the key focus is still on um, data analysis as opposed to sonification of that sort of an existing environment or something in between or perhaps a combination of both? I think the the key really is that we we'd want to be doing as little as possible creatively. With, with this, we want it to be um, as faithful to the to the to the location that we're or, or the situation that we're, we're trying to um, that we're trying to oralize. So we don't want to be um, having elements in there that are that are completely completely synthetic. Um, main, mainly because if it isn't if it isn't absolutely excellent and indistinguishable from the real thing um you just open yourself up to to criticism and it and it will obviously break then the 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 kind of the the trust that the listener has and the believability and the um um in in the in, in what they're hearing um it then just becomes a computer game effectively done you know very creatively so yeah tr- try to avoid that and try to use um, record real recordings as much as possible because then then there's no disputing or there's it's much harder to dispute the fact that um um that that this particular sound sounds like that in that location um because because it's what we recorded it's it's you know it's truth but obviously but ultimately you, you are we are you are you are predicting and trying to oralize something that doesn't doesn't exist at that location. So there's there's obviously an element there of of uh, of of you know you can't really get around it. There is a synthetic element to it, but um, but it's not it's not arbitrarily been designed. It's been designed based on on a on a model that predicts that it will be this level and it will have this spectral content. So um, that's 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 where we kind of build it up from really. In your work process, do you engage with game engines or do you use your proprietary software applications to run these simulations? A combination of both. We, we've developed tools in, internally um, to, to help with the, the processing and streamline the processing. And um, But I would say, um, yeah, we I use Unity quite a bit within myself, but um, I think most of the visualization team in the UK are using Unreal as well, um, some Unity. Um, so there's there's actually 
yeah, you'd, you'd perhaps be surprised that there is a lot of people in the company using using um, gaming engines to to deliver uh, visualizations, um, as well as oralizations. In my case, as well. My natural reaction is to say that I see VR being a great additional component to what you do. Do you see XR tech and AI gradually penetrating your industry and potentially having a big role to play in the future? Yeah, definitely. It already has. It it already is. Um, yeah, we uh, we have a, a a growing team of of, of um, visualizers within 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 the company and typically uh, historically or traditionally um that um their role was was perhaps more creating um photo montages so these these realistic renderings um photo renderings of 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 a proposed development or building um and that's definitely um it's still used um but more and more um we're using uh, these um Visualize it, virtual reality and augmented reality um, um, d- delivery mechanisms to to um, allow people to interact with with proposed designs. So, in in your personal opinion, how do you think what you do impacts our society from a health and a well being standpoint? That's a really good question. Um, so, I think I think the most obvious connection between what we do and and um, health and well-being of society is probably within the environmental um, sector, within in, in managing and, and mitigating environmental noise. Um, there's obviously there's like a, a balance that needs to be struck, because a, a consequence of of a, a, our society is that we is that we need a road network, we, we need a rail network, we need. Uh, a, these infrastructures to allow deliveries to happen um, during the day, during the night, um, and we need industries. Um, we need um, for our for jobs and to create the things, the products that we that we consume and all and all these things. Inevitably, a kind of a, a side product of that is is going to be noise. On the other hand, people also need. Um, the ability to be able to switch off from the world and be able to relax and be able to um, feel that they're in control of their environment. And um, it's quite often that, particularly in, in built-up spaces, that um, that this noise that, that we produce um, from all these uh, activities that we that we ultimately have, uh, that, that we do require as a society, um, will have, will, will can have, can create adverse health um, effects on on us, whether that is because we just become annoyed about a sound, um, maybe it's a, a delivery uh, that happens um, in the morning near you, or maybe it's a maybe it's a busy shop that um, you live near, and there's just constantly cars um, arriving there and departing from there, and 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 you're in your garden or in your living room, and you can you can hear that, or maybe it's the bus that goes past every 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 fifteen minutes, um, and you 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 can hear it from from your living from your living room, perhaps. All of these things um, have the potential for people to be disturbed by by the by noise um, and create annoyance. Um, and um, probably what's less um, obvious to to most people is the more recent um, connections between 
between um, cardiovascular disease or the increased risk of cardiovascular disease um, for those people that um, are living in um, noisy environments um, on a on a, over a prolonged period, so there is so there is this this now this kind of um, physical connection between our uh, being made between our health and and um, noise pollution. So more than ever, I think um, it's becoming obvious that um, part of a of a well planned city and a well planned um, living environment, noise has to be has to, has to be managed, um, and I think that's probably the the most obvious connection between um, the health and well-being of society and, and, and the, the work that we do. There are there are other other sides, for example, within within um, the built end, our kind of um, built environment. Um, we mentioned already about um, the public address systems and um, voice alarm systems and, and and voice alarm systems are really a part of the life safety systems. So um, if there is some kind of um, evacuation required of a building, people need to rely on that system in order to be able to get them to safety uh, in the event of an emergency. Um, so that's, I guess, that's another connection there. Um, and and obviously you, you then have um, this the more cultural side where um, we want to design spaces that are nice to work in, uh, that are uh, nice to visit and go and listen to music. And again, um, understanding how um, what what pleases us in terms of acoustic quality in in um, in, in indoor environments and, and what is good for a particular um, purpose, um, whether as I say whether you you're trying to learn or whether you're you're um, trying to work or um, maybe you're trying to work in a team and be collaborative acoustically what what is required of those spaces. So again, that's that's another way that that um, that we perhaps um, are connected to the health and well-being of society. Just for a moment, can we go back to the previous point? Can we talk about the partnership between yourself, one of the ACOM representatives with the University of York and uh, Audio Lab in particular? As, as we've established, I, I have kind of a history with um, the Audio Lab at, at York as being a, um, a PhD graduate from there. Um, and we try as much as possible to to collaborate because what from from kind of my perspective um uh one of the, one of the things um that's really important for me is to is to keep um abreast of all of the uh, developments that are happening within academia and within this field um so that we can um um be involved with that um and so that we've got an idea of of how of how this industry is going to change in the future because ultimately um new the new the new technologies and the new methods or um and workflows are likely to be informed by what is happening in in academic research communities so so um broadly that is you know a motivation i guess for for keeping in touch when obviously there are, uh, i've uh, good friends there as well, so um, I like to keep in touch with them just generally. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's, I guess it's mutually beneficial in that way. And because because we um, kind of being on the front line in in industry, what um, I'm getting up to, uh, if effectively helps can help to inform um, research directions um, within the lab as well, because it. It, it it ultimately gives this this kind of real world perspective of of how the research can can 
how their research can can have have an impact. So it's so it's 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 mutually beneficial, really. And I think I don't think that's that's um, unique uh, unique in any way. I think it's it's quite common um, within um, industry and academia to 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 try to collaborate and and it's um, in that way. Um, so it's yeah, it's very good. It's very um, productive and and um, yeah, definitely enriches enriches our uh, oralization capability within the company as well. In your opinion, what are the major issues the acoustic industry is currently facing? That's a really good question. That's definitely your best question. <laughs> uh, what what are we facing? I think I think um, the thing that springs to mind first is uh, is one that is is a challenge that. Has, has been a long-standing challenge within the acoustics industry, and that is acousticians, whether it's in environment or whether it's in kind of the, the building sectors, um, we tend to get only brought into a, a project late, later on when it would have probably been useful for us to be involved uh, early on. Um, and I think I think that's certainly, yeah, that, that, that's definitely been a, a long-standing issue within the industry but more broadly than that um yeah it's, that's, that's a good question um perhaps need to come back to that <laughs> do you still face this classic dilemma where architects care about what buildings and places look like before anything else and sometimes they end up with perhaps stunningly looking objects buildings places that sound absolutely terrible and totally inadequate for their function if it's a school or hospital for example yeah it's a funny one that anecdotally i would say yes um but i must admit i've not had a direct um i've not had any kind of direct experience of that certainly within it within acom and we do and we do try to be as joined up as we possibly can um uh, in order to av avoid those types of situations, um, but I think, uh, yeah, I, I think more more broadly, with uh, I guess I guess where I'm coming from is, is is that we have, as I said, we have architects within within the within the company, so it's much easier to talk to talk to them and meet with them, and um, than it is if it's a, a kind of a separate architectural practice. Um, that maybe don't have any acousticians on on hand, and then then it can be harder because then um, because then it's it's definitely the the architectural practice that's that's leading on a on a particular project, and 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 it's really up to them to bring the acoustician in. Uh, we we obviously can't get we you know if if we don't work with the same organisation we can't. Can't, we can't get we can't get involved. So what will tend to happen there is is as issues or potential issues are kind of seen to come up, um, then then they will bring then they will bring someone in. It seems like it's certainly very useful to have all specialists in house. Then you can work collaboratively and avoid those sort of mistakes. Perhaps the sort of um, anecdotal statements are more common to um, as 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 you mentioned um, in examples where individual suppliers, individual companies come on board to work on a single project and uh, it's more likely to emerge as a problem in that context. But also perhaps we can agree that the industry has matured and there's been massive advancements and improvements in general how the infrastructure is approached these days as opposed to maybe a couple of decades ago. These things are 
tend to be more on people's minds um, compared to how it used to be. What are the key goals you're working towards personally within your role and perhaps in the bigger picture as part of the department within the company? Within my own role, it's really to um, roll out this capability across as much of the company as, as is possible, not just within the UK, but, um, but globally as well. Um, so working with colleagues um, in other in other regions to um, to kind of to show them what we've been doing um, most recently and and to um, uh, to provide them with the with the support um, they need um, to to bring to bring the capabilities in, in into their regions and and to yeah ult- ultimately um, uh, improve the design process um, as as best we can using using the technology. So that's yeah, that's definitely an aim and a goal of mine um, within Acom. Alex, what's the project that you've been involved with? You're most proud of and why? I think I think most recently um, we were involved with the A303 by Stonehenge. Um, we did we presented sound demonstrations at the pub, statutory public consultation um, between February and March. And um, and that was um, that's obviously an, an iconic site. Um, it's generally a considered quite a positive project um, because we're effectively removing the existing. Or, or Highways England's plan there is to is to um, remove the existing A three hundred three from the Stonehenge landscape and put it put it underground. Um, so it's it's mostly seen as a, a as a as a positive thing for for the area. It's been excellent being involved with that project and and. Um, getting chance to spend some time doing recordings around that area it was yeah it was yeah definitely definitely um definitely top of the list one of those nice working trips you just get to enjoy the scenery well, well it was uh, we the recordings were done um in december um just just gone so um it was the i think it was the week before christmas and the weather the weather wasn't playing playing nice because we need generally need kind of low wind and dry road kind of situation um and uh, in december <laughs> that's that's probably the like worst it. month to do that <laughs> yeah yeah that's just the, just the way it worked out but uh so so it was uh yeah the the site work took a lot longer than than uh was originally hoped for um but we got there in the end and and despite the weather it was it was actually quite a quite a pleasant place to be um even at that time of year what piece of advice would you give to someone who wants to enter the industry today enter the industry today yeah the probably one of the best pieces of advice to like a new to maybe like a new graduate or um or yeah that's just kind of starting out is is really if you've if you're if you don't understand something ask and if you, if you think you've made a mistake tell someone um because because these because it's it's it you you'll generally it's generally works out much better for for doing that or it will work out much better for doing that because um if you yeah particularly if you don't understand something um because it's you know it's just a natural part of the learning process and you know necessarily get things first time all the time so um i'd say that's that i mean obviously that isn't acoustic related but that's just in just in general that's yeah, definitely the best, the best piece of advice I could give for someone entering a, a professional um, environment. Dr. Alex Savin, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Oliver. It's been, it's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell with guest Dr. Alex Southern. This episode was produced by Abigail Bircham, Gillian Duffy, Oliver Cadell and Giacomo Corpino and included music by Nobs Bergamo. 
If you enjoyed listening, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate, review and subscribe. The podcast is also available on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Visit 1618digital.com to access the show notes and other episodes. Follow us at 1618digital on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.